Good morning, church family. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We've been in Matthew chapter 5 for a couple weeks, and uh, we are not leaving anytime soon. So we're going to stay in Matthew chapter 5 as we uh, kind of uh, take out all the Lord has uh, for us to learn. Have you ever been in a situation where you're just so desperately trying to get it right? Now, I don't mean like just good. I don't mean just okay. I mean like you're trying to follow every letter of the law to the absolute perfection of it to where you don't miss a single thing. Think about that for a moment in our life. You may even just say, well, that's silly. Why would I do that? Because of course I'm not going to be able to keep it. I don't know. Why do you do it? Why do you still shame yourself because you don't do it? Why do you still pursue that level of perfection? And I, I get it when we think about plays. Let's look at a play or a skit. Uh, if you've ever gone to a play where they had transitions, somebody's coming off the, off the stage and somebody's coming on the stage and they have a line to deliver and somebody else has to deliver a line and if you don't deliver your line, I won't be able to deliver my line and everything falls apart, right? You have to get everything exactly the way it's supposed to be. And when everything is exactly perfect, we would say we have accomplished it. But of course, knowing us, we probably would look at that and we would, we'd say, oh, but this could be better and that could be better. You see, we, we try to do that sometimes within a gathering of the church family where everything has to fit so perfectly, so pristine, so perfect that we miss the fact that this is less of a performance and more of a gathering of family over your house, hanging out and enjoying one another and encouraging one another. It's less about, far less, about any performancey things and more about the leading, the gathering. Imagine being in a place where you had a list of rules, a list of commands, a list of demands, a list of whatever that says you need to hit these and you desperately try to get it all right. Can you feel the weight of that? The pressure of that? Well, if I do this, then maybe... And we'll even turn it into an act of acceptance and love. But if I do all these things, then for sure I'm going to be accepted by my family. I'll be certainly accepted by the church. I'll definitely be accepted by God if I perform. And we miss the point. We get so focused on perfection that we miss the point of it all. And today we're going to walk through what that looks like as we jump into Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 17. We're walking through the gospel according to Matthew. We're trying to see how things fit together throughout scripture and how we tried to bridge the gap from the Old Testament to the New Testament in its absolute simplest form from an aerial view of about 30,000 miles high, uh, you can simplify scripture to be able to see how everything points to one man and two events. You have the man of Jesus Christ, the God himself in the flesh, and his first coming and his second coming. As you read through scripture, you can see that Jesus is the theme of it all. 
He is the theme of it all. And everything that you read, and as we, as we tease out a little bit of Matthew uh, 5 here in uh, 17 to 20, we're going to see what that actually looks like, that Jesus is in fact the theme of it all. Now to understand what we're going to get into today when we talk about the law and the prophets of the, and the writings of the prophets, Matthew is talking to a... Uh, a Jewish audience. He himself, as a Jew, of course, he was also a tax collector, was not after he met Jesus. And, and so he's talking to Jewish people to say, listen, this guy is, in fact, the Jewish Messiah. So he's, spe he's speaking in that flavor, that theme, to, for them to understand what this looks like. So, of course, it's helpful for us to understand, well, why would that matter to them? So we're going to talk through some of that today. We're in chapter 5 where we read the account of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you recall, the Sermon on the Mount's kind of a straight-up generic title. This was not the sermon that Je sermon title that Jesus had. It wasn't like, today is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. No, uh, that's like me saying, today is the sermon from the pulpit. Right? They're just kind of like very generic in nature. We give those titles, of course. But it is truly a mount of a sermon. And we're walking through it. We've gone through the Beatitudes. We looked at what the Beatitudes uh, were saying. We saw where the crowds were gathering, that his fame was spreading about 100 miles in diameter, that people were just flocking to see him and to be healed. The crowds were gathering, and he goes up on the side of this hill, probably more of a hill rather than if you think of a mountain. And he goes and he sits down. And some of his disciples, not all of the crowd, this was not an evangelistic sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. This was discipleship training for those who were uh, sitting close to him. He had no uh, magnification of voice. He didn't have the microphone. He, so probably not everybody heard him, but many, I'm sure, did hear uh, this teaching. So he's surrounded by his disciples. And two weeks ago, we looked at the Beatitudes. In the New Living Translation, it says, God blesses those who are poor in spirit, for they uh, realize their need for God, and they mourn about this, so they're comforted. We talked through this. Your translation probably says, blessed are the and it says that nine times, blessed are the, and we walked through what those look like. Last week, Pastor Carr did a fantastic job teaching on salt and light and how we are to be salt and light. We are supposed to take that into the world. We are supposed to stand out, be different. You have relationships in your life that I cannot compare to or try to like take over of any way. That you have influence, a sphere of influence regardless of where you are in life. And so we are called. And so Jesus is, is teaching to his disciples, this is what kingdom living looks like. And he's laying out... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, that, the fact that he's talking to Jewish guys that would have gr grown up learning the scriptures, they're probably having conversations in your head, in their head, while they're listening to Jesus. I'm sure you have never had conversations in your head because you listen so focused and thoroughly, um, but these guys were not you guys, okay? And they had these conversations, I would imagine, going on in their head because they understood scripture. They knew Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13 says this in verse 5, the false prophets or visionaries who try to lead 
lead you astray must be put to death, for they encourage rebellion against the Lord your God. So here's the thought. Who is this guy? Even more so, what does he say about the law that everybody else is talking about and following? What does he say about this law? And so Jesus clears up a bit of what that looks like because, frankly, he's aware of what's going on. He's having these conversations with them. They're having conversations in their head, I would imagine. What's this all about? Because they're remembering, is this guy for real? Because if he shows a sense of rebellion that, you know what, the law, let's get rid of the law and just, just do something else, that would show an act of rebellion against following who God really is. And he doesn't actually say that. So, who is this guy? We're going to read through verses 17 through 20, and then I'm going to go back and we're going to, we're going to pick it apart. Verse 17 of chapter 5, it's in your uh, message note guides as well, and you'll also see it on the screen. Don't misunderstand why I have come, Jesus said. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I have come to accomplish their purpose. I have not come to remove anything or do anything there. I've actually come to fulfill it. Verse 18, I tell you the truth. Heaven, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Verse 19, so if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, the teachers of religious law, a name for them would be called scribes, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I have read that multiple times. I would imagine that if you grew up in church or you read through your Bible at any time and you come across this, you've read that and you're just like, whoa, what? What is all of that, and what does it actually even mean? Today, I'm hoping that we'll be able to answer some of these questions. What is the law? Why did we have it? Uh, why do we have it? And does it still matter today or even hold any weight whatsoever? It's important for us to understand what, the, what, what Jesus is saying about this so we understand how to move forward, okay? I'll explain more as we go along. Let's start over in verse 17, and then we'll break this apart. Don't miss understand why I have come. I, do, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. Here Jesus is mentioning the prophets, not for the first time, but for the second time. In the Beatitudes, you'll remember that uh, he says uh, in verse 12, be happy about it. Be happy about being persecuted. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way, continuing to bridge this gap that we are all a part of the same family. You have such a great crowd of witnesses. So we see how this all kind of fits together. So don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings or the prophets. A nickname for these writings would be the Old Testament. We know it as the Old Testament. The Jewish people would not have called it the Old Testament. It was just the Testament. 
It wasn't the old one, so to speak. The, the, the Jewish people would break the, uh, the, the Hebrew Bible. They would refer to all of the Old Testament as the Hebrew Bible. They would section it out, three primary sections. Some will even simplify it more into two. We'll look at the three here for a second. Dividing out, first of all, the law, which would be Torah or uh, Torah, however you pronounce it. So you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law. And then you have the prophets and the writings. But in some sections of, uh, especially within Judaism even today, they'll say the law and then the prophets and the writings are just everything else of the Old Testament or they would refer to as the Hebrew Bible. The phrase, the law and the prophets, refer to the entire Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Jesus spoke of the law and the prophets multiple times. If you're trying to do away with something, it's better to be out of sight, out of mind. But even if he was trying to overthrow the law, there would be more conversation about, yeah, don't, don't mess with that or don't do that. Even when he starts into later on and he says, you've heard it said, he's bringing it up yet again. This is what it, this is what it says. We are aware of this. People say, yeah, okay, I've heard that before. Yeah, I remember that. And so he's acknowledging it for what it is, the law, uh, the writings of the prophets. We know the law pretty well. I mean, you do. You act like you don't, but you do. We know it in its summed up form, the Ten Commandments. You can take the Ten Commandments and you look at the, the, you look at the different ones and we say, oh yeah. And yet we probably still aren't going to be able to recite them one at a time. But we know the Ten Commandments. We, look, we learn these from Exodus chapter 20. Uh, as we see this being a direct link as you see how uh, the Ten Commandments and how Jesus actually links these up with Matthew chapter 22, where he talks about the two greatest commandments, right? Part of our focus here. The two greatest commandments is to love God and love people or love others. Those are the two, because all the laws and the prophets, the writings, all of that hang on those two commandments. Man, thanks for simplifying that. So all I have to do is just love you completely and love people? Oh, wait, that's not easy. <laughs> right? And so he simplifies it even more. So let's say there was, uh, in a generic sense, let's say there was 613 laws. We simplify them into 10, still screwed it up. He brings it down to two, still can't do it. Right? <laughs> Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, it's uh, an excruciatingly uh, difficult thing to accomplish. The Ten Commandments, let's talk about those for just a minute, were broken up into two tablets, remember this? Uh, not tablets as we know of today from Apple, um, or that's probably an Android thing. That would be an iPad. Uh, these tablets uh, were, were probably stone, and they were uh, engraved on there. And these tablets, you know, Moses had, they had Ten Commandments, and there was four predominant uh, ones. The first four had to do with supreme devotion to God. Like right off the bat, man, here's four just devoted completely to who God is. And then five through ten is about sincere affection for us, each other. Love God, love people. He hasn't changed his mind on this. He reiterates this again. Hey, love God, love people. Okay, let me simplify it even easier for you. Love God and love people. The law does not only deal with the outward actions, but also the inward attitudes. 
But pastor, what is it? What is the law? Well, let's do a little bit of repeating here. Uh, Generally speaking, the law of Moses is the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Torah, uh, which is a Hebrew word for law, also called the Pentateuch, which is a Greek word for five books. More strictly speaking, the law of Moses refers to the 600 plus commands and regulations. Could you even imagine? That came from the second through fifth books of Torah. So you're looking at Exodus through Deuteronomy and all the laws and all the guidelines that go along there. They had three primary sections of laws. You had moral laws, civil laws, and ceremonial laws. Laid it all out there. There was laws about how to operate laws, man. It's like the the Romans and their taxation. There was a tax to breathe. There was a tax for tax purposes. It was just, there was just so much weight, heaviness when you think about these laws. Moral laws reflect God's holy, unchanging character. The moral laws include, of course, the Ten Commandments. Civil laws were regulations on the day-to-day life of the Hebrew people. This is how you live day-to-day. These laws govern such things as marriage and divorce, sexual conduct and property rights, and this and the set of penalties uh, for various crimes that people were uh, committing at that time as well. So this is your judicial system, uh, you know, your day-to-day activity. And then there's ceremonial laws because as a Jewish person, you're going to be you're going to be honoring your God, right? So how's this? Because this law was given to the Hebrew people. So how we assume you're going to honor God, right? So here's some ceremonial laws related to the manner that the Israelites were to worship God. This is how I want you to do it. I want you to do it this way. And if you read through Exodus through Deuteronomy, um, give it everything you got. And I would encourage an accountability partner along that way as well. And you can read the excruciating account of all they had to do in order to be able to be made clean uh, versus unclean. I mean, all that language comes out of that section, the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Laws on, okay, so if you're unclean, you can't offer sacrifices, so you have to be purified. Here's how you purify none of us would come here on a Sunday morning if we had to follow this stuff. Well, I'll just watch online, right? Because I'm not trying to go through the cleaning ritual. And so there's all these, they didn't have that option, right? They were trying to go to the temple and they needed to as part of who they were. Boy, we could learn something for that. This isn't what we do. This is why I don't like the idea of saying, let's go to church, right? It's it's not accurate. Hey, the church gathers here. And you probably notice I stumble over my words because I've been saying stuff like this for 40 years. Let's go to church. This is the church and things like that. And so I'm like, well, this is where we meet, gather. I don't know, man. Like, it's just, I know the way that I used to talk about it just was just off. We need to look at it for what it is. This is who we are. We get together. We gather. We encourage one another. We bless one another. We love one another. We do not shame one another, but we keep each other accountable. Oh, wait a second. You said this, and now you're doing this. Help me understand. Because if we're going to honor God, we're going to do it well. We're going to do it right. These laws were quite overwhelming. 
ceremonial laws, civil laws, moral laws. Simply put, the law was an earthly copy of an eternal, heavenly, unchanging standard of holiness. I don't know about you, but I, especially like when I taught during 9 a.m., I felt this weight, this eternal, heavenly, unchanging standard of holiness. What in the world? Why would God give us a list of do's and don'ts that are so intensely impossible for me to follow? I mean, you, gotta, you asked that question before, didn't you? You probably read through stuff. Why? Why would you make it so hard to be holy? Why would you make it so hard to trust you? Why would you make it? Because we, we're looking at this as so many people did and still do the wrong way. There were elements, no doubt, this is how I want you to operate. But it was about a heart posture that so many miss. So why did we have it? To show, to guide to reveal to the Israelites their need for God. Okay, so you're going to stand face to face with perfection. How do you measure up? Let's start with number one. Okay, one, I can do this. Two, I can do that. 613. Not to mention the oral law and tradition that was added in later because the Pharisees just loved their law. They loved the way they did things, the tradition of it all. You can't do this or you can't do that, or, but that's not in there. Yes, but it's tradition. So we have all these things and we look at this and we try, because we have a sin nature. If you didn't know this, let me invite you to understand this. You have a sin nature from the moment you are born, you're created, you're avail- there. I don't know, at some point in time, you have a sin nature. Everybody does. I don't, it doesn't matter how good you think you are or what you think you do, you have a sin nature. That levels the playing ground. Now, we all stand next to this law and we say, okay, so this is what it looks like. How do I do it? One at a time? We have, that's what's going on. This desire that wages war inside of us, I can do it. You either have uh, two primary religions within the, law, within the world You either have human accomplishment or you have God's achievements, God's fulfillment. You're either following yourself, trying to do your own thing, or you're going to follow what God says. You with me? We, by the nature of who we are, drift towards doing it ourselves. How easy is it to say, oh, no big deal, I got this. You don't even think when you say it. Hey, can I help you? No, not a big deal, I got it. I do it, and then sometimes I'll say, no, never mind. Yes, yes, I could use your help. Come on over here. I do that more times than I care. I look like a bumbling fool because I was like, well, you said no, but now you said yes. I know because I I have a sin nature, and so I'm trying to learn this, that yes, I can invite people into my world. We want to do things on our own. The law is God's perfect standard of obedience and holiness as described in the commands, the statutes, the ordinances given to those who would worship and serve him. Jesus continues. 
No, I have, I have not come to abolish it. I have come to accomplish their purposes. What is he saying? I am what it was all about. I am the central theme. It's all focused in on me. I am the center of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the, te- the only testament at the time. I am the fulfillment because I am the theme of it all. The law and the prophets, the writings have been pointing to me at the center of it all, the entire time. I have come to accomplish it. Jesus in the synoptic Luke, synoptic one of the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, very similar in nature. And so in Luke, we read that Jesus took some of his disciples and they were, he was teaching them about the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's the theme of it all. It is more simple than we give it credit for. Simple to understand, hard to follow through with for sure. He is the center of it all. Jesus is the common theme, the Messiah, the Son of God. See, Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses in every respect. With the coming of Christ, the law of Moses had achieved its purpose of guardianship. This idea of guardianship, let me get to that here in just a minute. Now that the Old Testament of the animal sacrifices is replaced by the new covenant of faith in Christ, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Praise the Lord, people. Are you with me on this? Oh, my goodness. This idea that Christ has taken this What, from me? Oh my gosh, what does that mean? Now, this this conversation of faith and works, I don't have to work to be received or accepted. I'm already accepted, a child of God. Now, because of sheer gratitude and just in awe of who he is, I want to serve him. I want to learn more about him. When Pastor Gordon says, read your Bible, I want to talk to him more through prayer. I want to know him more. He already knows me fully, but I need to know him more. I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. That's what it's talking about. We don't have to do follow that system any longer. Jesus has fulfilled that. Let's look at verse 18 for a moment. I tell you the truth, until even the earth, or until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, if you grew up reading through the, 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 the King James Version, uh, I'd like to share with you a little bit about what you've read and what it actually means. So we're going to read verse 18 in the King James Version. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Right? You remember reading that? Of course you did. And you went, I don't know, move on. What is a jot and a tittle? Let's talk about this for a minute. Let me show you an image. 
This image right here is the Hebrew alphabet, as it says up there. Um, what is what is known is like the like the the jot, like even the smallest little thing. Um, the smallest letter in the Hebrew uh, alphabet is the yod. The yod looks a lot like like uh, apostrophe, right? And so, not even the smallest letter. Or even if you look over here at the blue letters, okay, so you got the one on the left and the one on the right, um, you can see that they're very similar in nature, except if you look to the one on the left, it had a lot of uh, fundraising baked goods and it has a little hump right there on the end. You with me? And this over here does not. That's a distinguishing tittle between the letters. They make that much difference. The scribes, remember we talking about the scribes? They would spend 25 some years learning to transcribe, copy the, the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. They would typically start about the time they were teenagers, and then they wouldn't stop until they're about 40. They would go through, and that's for real, I'm not just being facetious, and they would write it out, and all the letters had to be perfectly spaced. All the, there had to be so many letters in each line. And of course, they're writing from left to right, not right to left. And they're doing all this. So if they would write it all out, let's say they write the book of Deuteronomy. Maybe they did a portion of a time, I don't know. And they did a, a portion of it. Then the person that's supervising them, the teacher... The scribe, the teacher of the law, would come along and look at it. And if anything was off, they tore it up. Let's try again. You know as well as I do, you can feel it already going. Excuse me? I mean, 90% is good. No, that wasn't good. No, because then it changes things. Because if you leave out a jot or a diddle, guess what? You're, you're actually changing what it means. And so when Jesus says, not even the smallest detail in our more modern translation, of course, in the New Living Translation, that's what it's talking about. These smallest little pieces, whether it's the Yod or whether or not it's a, it's, it's a different script in which they're writing this letter, the way that it's formed, not even the smallest will go away until it is accomplished. That right there had to drive home the thought, well, is he going to lead us in rebellion against the law? What does he think about the law of Moses? None of it's going away. Like, whoa, okay, this guy's probably for real. Let's keep going, verse 19. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them to be, uh, them will be, teaches them to do that will be called uh, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is how God will view you if you simply blow off the word of God. Do you understand the importance of the teaching Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all the things I have taught you. I have instructed you, Matthew 28. I want you to teach all of it. I don't want you to be like the Pharisees and say, well, I'll take this. This is, here it is. This is all we need to really worry about. 
All the other stuff really doesn't matter. It's just kind of here, just kind of there. Even pastors saying, you know what, well, let's not even worry about the Old Testament. Let's just focus on the New Testament because the New Testament is 2023. And that's dumb because it all focuses towards a central theme. You cannot take out 39 books from the Old Testament and say, well, that was then. Because of all the rich prophecy that points to what is coming and yet has been fulfilled, it cannot be taken apart. The teaching and the training of God's word is that important. Now I get it. We're busy. You're busy. I'm busy. Everybody's busy. We're busy at being busy. We're tired of it. And so we'll say things like, well, I've got schedules and, and I've, got, I've got kids at home and I really can't do anything. Who am I going to influence? Them. That's your circle of influence. You know what? I'm, I'm in charge of a company, CEO, and I just, I'm around these staff all day and they don't really know God, so how am I going to... Bam! That's it. That's your circle of influence. Talk about it. Instruct people as you can. Understand it's that important. Verse 20. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law, the scribes, and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There was a saying in their, in their day, if there are only two people get into heaven, one will be a scribe and one will be a Pharisee. So they hear this, well, unless your faith is greater than their faith, you're just not going to make it. I can only imagine this, oh dang. Because with all that they're pumping out that's good, that they're trying to do, and they're doing all these wonderful, wonderful things, devoting their entire lives to learning and teaching of the Bible, the, 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 uh, the Testament, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and I'm just beginning, I've got no chance. Exactly. Jesus is stripping away self-righteousness here. If they're not going to make it, how am I going to make it? Exactly. They're not <laughs> because they're trying to work at it. It's not about doing. It's about believing. Well, how's anybody make heaven then? If I can't have the faith like them, and what does this look like? Jesus explained that in 5.3, in chapter 5, verse 3. God blesses those who are poor in spirit, for they acknowledge their need for him. And then they mourn that, and they are comforted. If you think you're going to make it based on stuff you do, and you never consider the possibility that it has nothing to do with what you do, but rather who you follow, it's my responsibility to ask you to check that. Christ be magnified in me, but is he? There's two things you can check when you get home that will determine whether or not Christ is magnified. Are you ready for this? You might not like it. Check your calendar 
and check your, well, checkbook, but your online, your accounts. Check your accounts. Check your calendar. Check your accounts. What are you doing with your time and what are you doing with your money? Christ be magnified in me. Of course, I get my time and my money, right? I'll do everything else you want me to do, but I don't want those things to like, just kind of like handle those myself. That's how we know that we are truly acting out of gratitude and love. How are we spending those things? Well, does it still matter today? Does it even hold any weight? Tell me again, why should I care? Is the law still valuable today since we're actually under grace, no longer under the law? Christ has come to fulfill the law. We are in Christ, therefore we are justified. So it doesn't even matter. The New Testament clearly teaches that those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus Christ is not judged according to the law. But those who have not placed their faith in Christ is judged already. Christ came to fulfill the law, and in him we are presented to God as perfect and holy. Say what? I put my faith in Christ? What does that look like? Well, maybe in its most ignorant form, it's me standing before God and God saying, why should I let you in? And I say, "Uh, because I'm with him. And Jesus said, this is my guy right here. Yeah, yeah, he's been following me for a while. And totally, Dad, I got this. Yeah, he's with me. And like I said, ignorant form. But it's that idea that he is presenting me. This is Gordon, and he trusts in me. And I became the curse. Like, whoa, I'm totally getting in on your reputation? How is that? See, that's why we're saved by grace through faith and not of our works so that nobody can boast about it, so that nobody can be like, oh, look at me about it. It's all on him. And until we acknowledge that, we're not there. You're just not there yet. Until you, re- until you know that you're poor in spirit and you receive your, and you acknowledge your need for him, what would you mourn over in your life? Because after all, you're a good person, right? Salvation is a gift of grace, not of works, Ephesians 2. We cannot obtain it by, a, by attaining or attempting to keep God's law perfectly or by being a good moral person. Neither can we lose so flippantly this relationship that we have with God. Your absolute focus is to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and he will not just toss you to side. Keep your focus. Keep pursuing who Christ is. Because in Romans 12, 8, we're told there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. It has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. 
That's our big idea. Jesus came to do what we could not do. Jesus came to do what we could not do. So if I really believe that, how am I supposed to behave then? If I really believe that Jesus came to do what I could not do and I acknowledge that I am poor in spirit and I am in need of a savior, what does that look like? Well, look at this next step for a second. This week, choose what is right, not what is popular. There literally is a right way to live. And that's how Jesus has taught us. To pursue him, to honor him, and to follow him. You're going to wrestle with that this week, I hope. What is right versus what is popular? And just because it's popular doesn't mean it's wrong. But what is God telling me to do? As we prepare, prepare for next week, I'd like you to read Matthew chapter 5. That's right. We're still in Matthew chapter 5. Ain't going anywhere for a couple weeks. Keep reading it. Keep being involved in what this is, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of a Sermon, as we kind of take this apart piece by piece. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what it means, for what it does. Thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling the law, something we could never have done. Nobody has ever done. Only you, Jesus. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for showing us you're the central theme of it all. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of your family. I pray that this one person that might be in here even this morning that's still thinking, man, what's holding me back? I pray that you will speak truth to them. Perhaps somebody could come alongside them to empower them to know more about what does it mean to really follow you? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, stand, receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. Feel free to head to the lobby and get some more baked goods. If you are fasting and you're not eating them, that's fine. Buy them for me. I'm not. So I'll, I'll, straight, I'll straight up eat them. So um, receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now say it with me. Go and be the church.